0: Well, good morning, church family. It's so great to be able to speak to you this morning. Thank you, Paul. Hasn't it been great to have families doing the notices, seeing people that maybe we've not seen in person for a while? Uh, It's just really great uh, to see that. Uh, If you don't know me, my name's John. Uh, I'm married to Bex. We've got two boys, one of which got up this morning early and made pancakes for his mother and for all of us. What a hero. What a great guy. We've had a, a brilliant morning this morning. I hope you're enjoying your Mother's Day. Well, a few years ago, you may remember the beast from the east. I think it was 2018. We had an awful lot of snow, much more even than we had a few weeks back. And uh, a lot of people, I think, Steve, you were snowed in, weren't you? In Barnum Broom, there was snow everywhere. And fortunately, we were able to get out Uh, And we headed down to the UEA. It was the first time my youngest son had really seen proper, proper snow. And we got the sledge out, dusted it off, found it from the back of the garage where it had been hidden for a long, long time. And we had a blast. We were just firing down the hill that they've got there at the back of the UEA. It was just a brilliant time. And I remember distinctly a young girl who was hurtling down uh, this slope kind of screaming a bit, obviously terrified because it goes really fast uh, and her dad just running along beside her and he just kept saying the same thing over and over and over. All he said was, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here and his presence with her, just the reminder that he was there changed what was For the young girl, a bit of a scary experience into one that she can enjoy. And she started to giggle and laugh, knowing that her daddy was there, that nothing bad could happen. This morning, we're going to continue our series on the names of God, and we're going to look at the Lord is there. Now, as I was preparing this, I was looking at this name, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. The more I thought about it, the more I, I prayed and prepared, you know, I was very tempted to think, oh, right, what's the, what's the theological basis for this? How can we build this? Let's, let's put in some Greek. That will make me sound like a really good preacher. Uh, it'll be really impressive. And I just felt God saying that, John, just, I just want you to communicate my heart to people this morning that I long and love to be there, to be there for you. See, when we say to somebody, I'm here, I'm there for you, it means, it, it, it doesn't just talk about our existence, the fact that we are physically located in some sense of proximity to the person. It speaks of our desire to comfort it speaks of our attentiveness our interest our support perhaps even our protection our very presence with them see we know that God is everywhere God is physically or spiritually in existence in all places at all times outside of time we know that God is there that God exists But so much more of that than that. He is present and wants to be with you. I wonder, do you know him this morning? Do you know the God who is there with you, for you, at all times? Do you know the comfort that comes from knowing that you're never alone? Do you know the confidence that you can have in him? Do you know the resources of heaven that are available to you? God wants you to know this morning that he is there for you because having a God and knowing that God is there for you and with you changes everything. Maybe you don't know him this morning. Maybe you don't know him at all. Maybe you're not even sure that he exists, let alone that he's present with you. We're going to look at some stuff this morning, and I won't have time to go into the background and the detail of every single thing that I say. And so if some of this is new to you, if you've got questions, I want to commend Alpha to you and encourage you. There's this brilliant thing called Alpha. In fact, Chris runs it here at Hope. And there are people that would love to spend time with you, to sit down, to talk Hopefully, we'll be able to do it in person before too long. Alpha is a superb way to explore the Christian faith, to explore the Bible, and to explore what it means for you. And I would encourage you to do that. Mike Pellavacci writes, when we talk about seeking God's presence, we simply mean we're seeking to be close to Jesus. Our goal should be relationship with Jesus, not power from Jesus. Christianity isn't complicated. It's not about rules. It's an invitation to have a relationship with God. Have you accepted that invitation this morning? Do you know he's there with you? Let's just pray before we carry on. Father, I thank you that you don't just exist, but you are there for each one of us. And I pray this morning that you would help me to communicate your heart, your desire to be with each and every one of us and to know each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray particularly for those that don't know you right now. Lord, would you just come and speak to them by your spirit this morning? Amen. Let me tell you a little bit about what God is like. You see, God's number one desire beyond anything else is to be with his people, to be with his creation, who he loves. Far from the absentee father, he is eager to know you and be with you. A few months ago, just before Christmas, we had the pleasure of looking after a friend's dog. Little Toto, a wonderful family in the church, uh, just needed us to look after him for a few days. I love it. I've always wanted a dog. And little Toto would just follow us around everywhere we went, quietly. He wouldn't bark. He would just be looking, looking up to us everywhere we went, everything that we did. He was just eager. He just wanted to be with us. And the thing that he was waiting for more than anything else was for the moment that we sat down. And the moment that we sat down, he would just jump on our lap and snuggle up. And it was just great. Made me want a dog Uh, even more. And the conversations continue in our house to this day. Now, when evening came, we set Toto up in his little bed in the lounge and we turned the lights off and said goodnight and headed upstairs. And then we discovered that Toto could bark after all and started to bark and call for us and howl. And he, he missed us. He wanted to be with us. He didn't want to be left down in the lounge while we headed upstairs. Now, please hear me. I'm not comparing our great creator God to a Yorkshire Terrier called Toto but I do wonder whether there's something of the nature of God's character that we can learn from him. See, God is eager to be with you. And when he was separated from us, he he missed us. And I suspect that something similar happened in the heart of God, in the garden, when Adam and Eve, when The first man and woman rebelled against him. Having only known a closeness to God, they rebelled against him. They chose to do things their own way. And that sin that came into the world at that point brought a separation between God and man. And God was heartbroken. Because God loves his people and wants to be with them more than anything. He was devastated. And so from that moment Onwards, he started to form a rescue plan, a rescue mission. His heart's desire is to get back to the way things were in the garden, to know his people. He started to draw together individuals who he could know, people after his own heart. In time, he drew together a people, a nation. In the Exodus, he came to be with them in the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle and the temple, he started to find ways that he could somehow be with his people again, so much was his desire to know and be with them. When God's people rebelled again, Ezekiel, he speaks to, this is where our passage comes from today, our our verse, the Lord is there, even as they rebel against God, God speaks again to them and says that he wants to be with them. He wants to know them, that he will be with his people. He promises the Messiah, the one to come who will rescue his people. And onto the scene comes Jesus, the spotless lamb, the one who has never sinned, the one who's never done anything wrong. And he dies on that cross to take the punishment for everything that you and I have ever done and will ever do. The sins of the world nailed to the cross. At the moment of his death, the earth shook. The curtain in the temple that signified the separation between God and man, the sin that separates us, was torn in two. And God could again come and live in his people, in you and I, by his Holy Spirit. But even now we live in a fallen world. Look around, the place that we live in is broken. We have disease and suffering and death, greed, idolatry, abuse, rebellion. And so even now God's not done. There is more to come. Jesus promised he will return and make all things new. He will restore God's kingdom to earth. God's kingdom is a place where his rule and reign and will and desire is fully worked out. And he will come again and establish his kingdom on the earth. This is the ultimate fulfillment of God's desires and plans for the world. To restore creation to the way it was designed to be in the garden, but not just a garden anymore. See, there will be multitudes that know him, that will bow down before him and worship him. And so it will be a garden-like city. And the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. This is what God promised to Ezekiel. So where does that leave us now? We're living in the in-between. Jesus has purchased it for us. But God's kingdom has not yet fully come. As a a local Norwich boy and a fan of of Norwich City Football Club, I am confident that in the not-too-distant future, there will be a point at which Norwich will be declared champions of the championship. Danny is very excited over in the corner celebrating right now. There will become a point where it will be a done deal, It will be mathematically impossible for them not to win the league. There's a lot of faith going on here. But there will still be games to play. There will still be battles to fight before the season is fully over. You see, we live right now in a time where Jesus has won the victory. The war is won. The result is confirmed death and sin have been defeated but there are still games to play there's still battles to fight we still experience sickness and death we still struggle with desires of the flesh there is still a real enemy that is fighting and refuses to back down and even now we we hear from god he speaks to us but it's not so clear sometimes. And God really wants us to know in the in-between that he is there. That he is there for you personally, individually, in your lounge right now. He is there. And I just want to explore in the time that we've got left four battlegrounds, four areas where maybe we struggle to know and understand and fully grasp the reality of God's presence with us. In fact, Chris, knowing nothing of what I was going to speak of this morning, has spoken to one of them so clearly already this morning. And so I think God really wants to do a work in us there. So, number one, God is there when you screw up. God is there when we sin, when we fall off the wagon, when we lose it, when we blow it. You see, today's verse, the context of it, when God speaks to Ezekiel, is after God's people have blown it big time. They've been ruled by a succession of corrupt kings. Each one of them has the legacy he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know what you fancy having on your gravestone one day, but it's not a great glowing reference is it to have that as your legacy as a result god allowed the babylonians to overthrow jerusalem and capture the land the temple is destroyed and god's people are living as refugees in a foreign land they have sinned god's judgment and discipline comes to them and yet out of that at that time he again affirms his promise to never leave them, to always be with them, that they have a glorious hope and a future. Following their great failure comes the promise of presence. Andrew Wilson writes, His very name, Yahweh is there, means that he could never abandon them, that they could never be alone, that they could always worship him, no matter how far they strayed or how sinful they'd been, God's faithfulness to his own name meant that he would always be there. God's presence in your life is not based on your performance. It's based on what he has done for you. He is no less there after you've stuffed up, after you've blown it. The issue for many of us is at that time we don't feel very close to God. And so number two is God is there when you don't feel him. Have you ever walked into church just after a row? (laughs) Or just after telling your kids off? Or maybe the morning after the night before when you perhaps didn't reflect God's glory in quite the way you were designed to? I know that on those occasions, I don't feel terribly spiritual. But one of the things I've learned about myself is that my feelings are a really rubbish temperature gauge for anything. Let me tell you what my feelings are predominantly uh, influenced by. How tired I am, how hungry I am, uh, the weather... Anybody identify with that? When the sun comes out, boy, does the world look like a different place. And actually, one of the things I've realized for me is music. What music I'm listening to and what's on. They will all affect my mood and my temperament and my feelings. And if I'm not careful, I can use my feelings as the temperature gauge for God's presence in my life. Do I feel very close to him? If I'm honest... Worshiping in my lounge at home on the TV with the kids running about, I don't feel a great deal. It doesn't mean he's not there. Now, we love to meet together. We long to be back in this building. It's torture, by the way, being here uh, with the guys leading worship so brilliantly because all you want to do is sing. And this is the one place we're not allowed to sing. We love to meet together. We love to to be together. There's something special. Because God's presence is in us, when we come together, there's somehow a magnification of his presence amongst us. And he does sometimes engage with us emotionally in ways that we can feel and experience. And that is a wonderful thing. And I long for more of it. And I pray for more of it for you. I pray that you would know and experience and feel him. But if we're not careful we can elevate those feelings to the place where they tell us whether or not God is with us. And at times, we don't feel as close to him. It doesn't mean that he's not there. Smith Wigglesworth is a personal hero of mine, probably one of the most spirit-filled men to have walked this earth since the Bible He writes this, I can't understand God by feelings. I can't understand the Lord Jesus Christ by feelings. I can only understand God the Father and Jesus Christ by what the word says about them. God is everything the word says he is. We need to get acquainted with him through the word. As Chris brilliantly, and helpfully shared earlier, God's work in your life, the victory that Jesus has won, his presence with you is a biblical reality purchased by the blood of Jesus, whether you currently feel him or not. He's there with you in your lounge. He's there with you at work. He's there when you've blown it and you're feeling rubbish. He is there. Number three. He's there when you ignore him when you're distracted, and when you're busy, and you don't give him attention. He is there. This is huge. We live in a busier, more overstimulated, more distracted world than ever. Netflix, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, work, even church activity, children. There's so much going on, so many distractions, So many reasons and excuses not to be engaged with God's presence. But it doesn't mean he's not there. Let's just go back to my little furry friend Toto. What was he waiting for more than anything else? He was waiting for us to sit down. Just to stop long enough that he could jump up and curl up on our laps. And I think for many of us this morning in this society, in this world in which we live, what we need to do more than anything is just stop. Just be with him. You know, we've put an awful lot of stock and energy and attention into the teachings of Jesus, and that is absolutely right. We absolutely should listen and learn and hear from everything that Jesus had to say. But I wonder whether we've downplayed what we have to learn from his lifestyle. I think there's a lot that we can learn from the way that Jesus lived his life. Here is a a guy who had a full schedule, a guy that changed the world forever in three years of teaching ministry. And yet he knew what it was to get away, to have a break, to spend time with his father. So slow down. Take time out. Turn the phone off. Turn the TV off. Say no once in a while and make time for him. Listen. Pray. Listen some more. Read, your, read the Bible. Read his word. Listen some more. Be still and know that he is God. If you're struggling with this, I would highly, highly recommend the very often recommended Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Homer. Uh, I'd love to give you a quote. I think Danny's got my copy right now. uh, Or Lauren, one of you guys is reading it. So there's no quote, which is great, because it just means that you have to go and get it and read it for yourself. It's all about this area. I would highly recommend it. And so to our last area, and this is a tough one. God is there when you are suffering. God is there for you when you experience pain. Where was God when I got cancer? Where was God when I lost my job? Where was God when my marriage fell apart? Maybe today, Mother's Day, maybe that's a tough day for you. Where was, where was God when I couldn't have children? Or my baby died? There's no quick and easy answers to that one. I know that in tough times it can feel like the Lord has abandoned you. We can't always control the things that happen to us in the in-between in this sinful fallen world that we still live in. But we can choose how we react. You see, trials and suffering have the power to drive us into the arms of our Father if we choose to. They force us to admit that we're not in control, that we don't have all the answers and that we need God. Tim Keller writes, suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself walks with us in the fire. And God describes himself as the God of all comfort. It's one of the the names for the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the comforter, the helper, will come to you. I was speaking with a, a friend this week who's having a tough time. They got some bad news this week about a loved one, a relative. And they just shared how knowing God was there with them made all the difference. Just knowing his comfort there with them at a painful, difficult time. Jesus never promised an easy life. In fact, he promised that following him would be the opposite, that it would bring suffering and pain and hardship. But he took it on himself himself. See, Jesus too suffered. He knows what it's like. He's able to sympathize with us. And he did it to make sure that you never have to walk through it alone. And to ensure that one day when this life is over, and you will meet him face to face, and you will hear him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And you will live with him forever in the garden-like city, with multitudes from every nation and tribe, crying out, holy is the Lord. John writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And there will be no more pain. And there will be no more suffering and there will be no more sickness and death and we will live in that city forever. And the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there.